You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and uh, I'm, I'm just so glad that you're joining us uh, this morning. Um, we are continuing our series. Is that me? Okay, good. <laughs> we are continuing our uh, fall vision series this morning that uh, we've been calling How We Change. And in this series is all about how we can become more like Jesus. And I know that the idea of becoming like Jesus can sound a little far-fetched, right? It's like, I mean, is that really possible? But as we've seen in this series, it is possible, as crazy as that sounds, because that's what Jesus' goal for you is. And as you follow him, he, his goal is working in your life to make you more and more like him as we, to use his phrase, remain in him, or as we, like a branch in a vine, are connected to him for him to produce his fruit of his life through us. As he says in John 15, 5, which is really kind of the theme verse for this series, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And the fruit there represents Jesus' character and his behavior flowing through your life, making you more and more like him. And so in this series... How we change, we could really kind of stop the whole thing right there with, with that line. Like, that's the answer to the question. How do we change? Well, we change by remaining in Jesus. As we do the remaining, he does the changing. <laughs> that's his promise, all right? And so we could, just, we could just cut it there and we could all go to lunch. But uh, we're not because the truth is um, there's a problem. <laughs> and the problem is... Uh, we have a hard time doing the remaining, right? That the problem is that this idea of remaining in him, and to use other words, it'd be like the staying in fellowship with him and staying aware of him and being you know, dependent upon him. Those kind of things, we just don't normally live that way very often. And so because of that, uh, we, we have this problem. It's hard to become like Jesus when we don't remain in him. As he says, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so, and not only do we, does that not come naturally for us, but we're also living in an environment in a world that has these other forces at work against us that also don't make this easy. They, they push against us. It's like they pull us away from the vine and, and they're trying to form us into a different thing, not like Jesus, but like our world. And so we've been using this graphic up here to kind of capture that, that there's these forces. I'm not going to go into them by depth because I talked to them about them two weeks ago, but things like the false stories we believe and they are unhealthy habits and uh, negative relationships all taking place in the environment that we live in. For us, that's Austin and uh, the whole internet world that we're always into as well. And these things are working against us, pulling us away from the vine. And so this, this is an issue. It makes us hard to remain 
in Jesus. And so we've said in this series, and kind of this part of the series that we're in, is really focused on the fact that we need something to help us counter that. We need something that will work, help us stay remaining in the vine, like a, 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 a grape branch is helped to be supported and staying connected in a healthy connection with the vine by a trellis, we need a trellis of sorts. And so three, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about some ideas of what that could be, and there's really like three main ways that we think, three main like rungs of a trellis that will help us remain in Jesus so that he can make us more like him. There are things like biblical teaching and Jesus' practice and Christian community. That these three things help offset these other forces that are at play that can pull us away from the vine. They help us remain in Jesus so that we can become more and more like him. And so last week, uh, Justin uh, really focused on Jesus' practices, and it was great. Uh, But I'm going to camp out on that again today. But not to uh, correct anything that he said. It was awesome. Uh, It's because there's actually two aspects to Jesus' practices that we want to tease out. See, there's practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus. That's what Justin was teaching on. Things like uh, prayer and Sabbath and uh, scripture meditation and silence and solitude. Those kind of practices, which I just real quick, if you weren't here last Sunday you didn't hear that message, I would really highly recommend you go back and listen to it. Justin did an excellent job. And and those practices, the practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus, are, I'm completely convinced, are the most vital and essential things you can do to help you remain in Jesus. They are the bread and butter, okay? That's where the money is in those. But Having said that, this morning, I'm going to take the other aspect of Jesus' practices, which are not practices based on Jesus' lifestyle in that sense, but practices based on Jesus' ministry and missional uh, um, lifestyle or, or practices. His practices based on his mission and his ministry. And if, uh, if you're like, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, I've got a slide that just kind of highlights those things. So let me show you. Uh, it'd be things like proclaiming the gospel healing the sick and doing justice and serving sacrificially and eating and drinking with people far from God and peacemaking and giving generously and training disciples and confronting religious corruption. Like these are the things that really characterize Jesus' missional and, and life and his ministry and his life. And so those are the things that he, uh, he invites us to begin to do with him. And if you're like me, you look at that list and you feel a little overwhelmed. (laughs) Y'all feel that a little bit? It's like, okay, wait. So like following Jesus, I'm supposed to to do those kind of things? I thought that's just what Jesus did. Well, no, it's actually what he wants to help you do as well. Because Jesus' goal as you disciple or apprentice under him is to train you to become like the teacher, like him. So that you're doing all the things that he's doing. So Jesus' desire is to invite you in and equip you to join him in his kingdom work. Now, as you follow Jesus, you'll begin doing the things that Jesus did. But um, having said that, uh, this morning, 
What I want to focus on is this kind of paradoxical element of that. Because usually we think, okay, if I follow Jesus long enough, then maybe I can begin doing some of the things that Jesus did. But the truth is, uh, Jesus actually uses us stepping out of our comfort zone to begin doing the things that Jesus did, these missional practices, as a means to help you become like him. So it's not just the end result of following Jesus will you do the things that he did. It's actually a part of the way he's helping you become like him is when you step out to do the things that Jesus is doing. See, uh, many of us, I know, uh, have experienced this. You've been walking with Jesus very long, and at any point in time, you have stepped out of your comfort zone to uh, begin serving others with Jesus. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's that, it's that sense of like, okay, I know I don't really have what it takes to do this, but I'm going to trust Jesus, and as I step out to trust him and obey him, your faith and your dependence on him, your awareness of him, your connection to him deepens. It grows. And when that happens, you're right where Jesus wants you to be. You are remaining in him so that he can help you become more like him. Like I think about our huddle leaders right now. We just this, this Sunday and next Sunday, our huddles are getting launched. And we have many uh, people in our church who have stepped out to lead a huddle, to disciple others. And I've heard from a few of y'all uh, that you're pretty scared. Like you're intimidated. You're like, is this going to go well? And I don't know. And I'm just like feeling all this angst and anxiety. And, and you're telling me this. And, but you feel, these huddle leaders feel like God has led them to do this. And so they've said yes to his invitation. And now as a result, you know what they're doing? They're praying like crazy. <laughs> they're praying like crazy. And, and they're, they're, they're depending on Jesus to a new degree. And as a result, their connection to the vine, they're thrust into the vine, if you will, to a new degree. So they're where Jesus wants them to be so that he can produce his life, not just through them, but in them, making them more and more like Jesus. See, this rung on the trellis helps us remain in the vine. And as we do the remaining, Jesus does the changing. Does that make sense? Okay, but here's the issue. Um, many of us miss out on this dynamic. And the reason why we miss out on this dynamic is because, uh, well, there's actually various reasons. Various reasons that we choose not to engage and the missional practices of Jesus. Where we decide, okay, I'm just going to come to church on Sunday, and I'm going to listen to a message, and then I'm just going to go about my day, but I'm not going to really step out of my comfort zone to serve others with Jesus. There's various reasons why we choose not to do that, but friends, that's to our detriment. It does not help us remain in Jesus and therefore become like Jesus. And so this morning, I want to look at uh, uh, two stories found in the 
the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, if you want to go there. And uh, in these two stories, what we'll see is the disciples put into a, a, a situation or really invited into a situation where Jesus wants to do something through them, but it's going to really stretch them. It's going to cause them to be more dependent on Jesus than they you know, were comfortable with. And yet, though they were hesitant at first, like many of us are, when they chose to step out in this, God did something really amazing, something awesome happened. So if you will, look at this passage, we're going to pick up in verse 13, okay? Matthew 14, verse 13 starts this way. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Okay, little context here. What Jesus had heard had happened was that his cousin, whom he loved, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded. And that's kind of a, a big deal, right? And so, uh, understandably, he wanted to, Jesus wanted to withdraw, to mourn by himself for a little bit. But, verse continues, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So, People hear that Jesus is headed across the lake to you know, have some time to himself, and they thought, no, I, I bet he really wants some company. Right? So they, they take, take off after him. And then, so verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he got really angry. He shouted, can't you just leave me alone? Now, that's actually not what it says in the Bible. That's what I would have said if I was Jesus, or I was like in that situation. It's like, come on, guys. But, but no, here's what it actually says. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Like, Jesus is so awesome. Like, I, I don't, like, don't we want to become like him? Okay, continue, verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Hey, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, it's at this point in this story that uh, it gets really rich for us in terms of what we're talking about today. Because look how Jesus replies to them. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, later, in a minute, later, and many of y'all are familiar with this passage, but you're going to find out, there's like 5,000 men in this crowd, plus women and children. Like, this is not, it's not like, oh, well, why don't you give these three people some food? It's like, no, why don't you give thousands and thousands of people food? And, and I just crack up at this, because this is so like Jesus, that Jesus oftentimes uh, works in this way. You come to him with a need, you're aware of something, someone or something that needs addressing, and you're like, Jesus, will you, will you take care of this? All these people need food. Will you send them away? Will you take care of that? And, and Jesus turns to you and says, or you sense him saying to you, hey, yeah, yeah, um, why don't you do something about that? You ever been in a situation like that? You ever like sensed that? Yeah, uh, if you're like me, then in that kind of situation, you say this, um, no, 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 Jesus, I don't I think you understand. Like, I, I see the need, and you have the ability to meet that need, so I'm asking you to do that. I, I'm not the person to meet the need. I'm the person that prays about you, prays to you to meet that need. And Jesus says, no, 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 I, I care about that need. I want to meet that need, but I, I want to 
do it through you. And we think, no, <laughs> no, there's, there's just no way. And, and the reason we feel that way is because we're keenly aware of our inadequacies, right? I mean, we're keenly aware of what we don't have. We don't have time. We don't have the financial means. We don't have the training. We don't have the know-how. So it's like, no, no, Jesus, I, I'm not the person. So we start making excuses. Friends, that's right where the disciples were in this moment. And of course they were. Feed, feed thousands of people with what? And so they say to Jesus, hey, we only have here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Like, Jesus, we'd love to feed everyone, but we don't have what it takes. And so, um, like, we just got these five loaves and two, bread, two fishes. And I love what Jesus says to them next. He just says, well, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Like, like uh, why don't you just bring me what you have? Isn't that great? Just, just, just bring me what you have. So that's what they do. And uh, verse 19, we're told. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking five loaves and the two fish and looking up in heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples. And like, I think the disciples had to be incredibly confused at this moment. Because from what, we, what I, you know, from what I can get from this passage, from what I can tell here, is like when he, he, Jesus basically takes what they gave him, he prays for it, he breaks it and gives it back, and he gives it back to them. Like he gives them basically what he just, what they just gave him, right? It doesn't say, and Jesus prayed and he broke it, and there, there were basketfuls of food for everybody. And it's like, come and get it. No, it's just like here, and they're like, well, what is this for me? Am I? Like, am I going to eat this? Like, what do I do with this? And it's like, well, okay, this, this is weird. But the disciples do something that is significant. Like, in tr- I think just trusting Jesus. Like, I guess he knows what he's doing. Here's what they do next. It says, the disciples gave them to the people. Disciples gave them to the people. Now, oh, here's why this is significant. It's because what the disciples did is that they trusted that Jesus would do what only Jesus could do. And so they just did what they knew how to do. See, they didn't know how to feed 5,000 plus people with a little bit of food, but they did know how to turn and begin to pass out food. They, they knew how to do that. So that's what they did. Again, to put it, just to, to put this in front of you, like they did what they knew how to do while trusting Jesus to do what only Jesus could do. And I point that out because often what keeps us from engaging in the missional and ministry practices of Jesus, what keeps us from stepping out of our comfort zone and sacrificially serving others, whether that be fostering or sharing the gospel with your friend or whatever it might be, what keeps us from doing that often is the belief that we don't have what it takes. But the truth is, your responsibility is just to do what you know how to do while trusting Jesus to do what only he can do. 
And when you do that, friends, it's not just good for others. It is incredibly good for you. See, uh, that tension that we feel, that fear that we feel when Jesus invites us to serve others in sacrificial ways or ways beyond our means, our ability, that tension we feel is Jesus inviting you to trust him more, to depend on him more, to sink yourself more fully into the vine so that he can produce his life more fully in you and through you, making him like him. Here's what happens. Verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. (laughs) It's a pretty big statement. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And I'm guessing that the disciples didn't walk away from that thinking, man, we should really open up a restaurant. Like, man, we are good at this food thing. No, I'm sure they walked away thinking, how in the world did Jesus do that? And I'm sure that they, they walked away thinking, man, like, that was amazing that we got to be a part of that. And I, and I, and I didn't know that he, he, Jesus, could do that. But like if we, maybe like if we depend on him, we trust him, and he invites us to do something, and we step out of faith to do it depending on him, maybe he can actually do these kind of things through us and in us. I bet you that's what they were thinking. Oh. When Krista and I uh, chose to begin work, working to start Midtown Church, it's about ten years ago. Um, I was uh, I was terrified. <laughs> I mean, I really was. I was just, I was so keenly aware that I didn't have what it takes to start a church, and so I talked to Jesus about that all the time, <laughs> and I talked to my mentors about that all the time. And I vividly remember sitting across the table from one of my mentors, a guy named John Harrington, at uh, Rudy's Barbecue on 183. And uh, I'm telling him how afraid I am. And he looks at me and he says, Jake, you need to understand that Jesus is way more interested in what he is going to do in you than what he is going to do through you. And John said that to me because he understood that um, I was just completely focused on what I hoped Jesus would do through me. But he knew that the, where the money is, where the, like the real good eternal significant work is, is what Jesus was going to do in me as I stayed dependent on him as I stepped out into something that I had no business being able to do on my own. See, John knew that uh, when I'm in that situation and what I do is not try to do it in my own power, but it drives me into greater dependence on Jesus, then I'm right where Jesus wants me to be. 
as I'm abiding in the vine, as I'm remaining in the vine, he'll produce his work in my life. And yeah, through my life too, to a degree, but for sure in my life, making me more and more like Jesus. And that was off my radar. That was like, well, you know, I'm not planning a church for my good. <laughs> I'm planning it to help others. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. It actually works both ways. They're both at play at the same time. When you step out to serve others, it's good for others, but it's also really good for you. I think that's what Jesus was trying to do here in Matthew 14. I think he's kind of teaching that to his disciples. Here, because I don't think Jesus was simply doing this mir- this miracle because he had like run out of miracles. Like I've healed a lot of people already. Like, well, what can I do that's like a kind of new and exciting? Like, oh, I know, I'll, I'll feed five thousand people. Right? It's like that's that's not was Jesus's attitude here. He he did this because he was inviting his disciples to trust and to depend on him to a greater degree. See, this was Jesus training them calling them to do something beyond their ability so they would learn to depend on him more fully so he could produce his life in them more fully. And so as soon as the training session was over, he sends them into another training session. Very next verse, verse 22. This begins immediately, which is a word that helps us see that these things are connected. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray, which should cause all of us to think about uh, Justin's message last week, right? That, that uh, you know, it's a picture of Jesus' lifestyle practices. That even after an incredibly long and emotional day, He's like, man, I, I got to get time with the Father. And so he gets alone and he begins to pray. Uh, it, it was that important to him. And friends, just to reiterate, it, it's that, it should be that important to us as well. But um, <laughs> I won't preach that message. Justin already did. So let me keep going. Verse 23. Later that night, he was alone in the boat, referring to the boat the disciples were on was already a, a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And it's here that we see the second training session begin. These guys are rowing across the lake, which should not have been real difficult for them, right? A few of them were fishermen. They had done this a million different times. But the, way, the wind and the waves are pushing against them so hard that they just aren't making hardly any progress. And so verse 25. Shortly before dawn, like they've been out all night just getting some exercise, right? And Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear, which I think means that they screamed. They're all just screaming in the boat, right? Now, uh, real, real quick, and this is certainly an aside, but let me just point this out. You know, I know feeding 5,000 people, walking on water, it's just, man, it's like, if, you, if you're skeptical about the Bible, you're like, this is why. This is, these are just crazy, right? But what, one of the things that I find helpful and really, like, you know, honestly, to me, pretty convincing is that, like, if, 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 this, if 
the people who wrote this, which it's, you know, it's claimed that Matthew, Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this gospel of Matthew. Like he's one of the guys in this boat. And and they he he makes himself look terrible here, right? Like it's like, you know, there's just it's a ghost and he's screaming and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, like if I'm making this up, if I was Matthew, then I'm not writing myself and my other friends into the story as cowards. But that's exactly what he did. Now, but I would have done something. I would, if I was making it up, I would have wrote myself into the story as being like the one that's like, he's, I see Jesus walking on water. And I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, right? It's like, ah, oh, I, I knew he could do it. You know, that kind of deal. But that's not what Matthew did here. It's not what you read through the Gospels. The, the, the authors of the Gospels, they just make themselves look like, you know, cowards and idiots all the time. I just think that helps bring some credibility to this. Like, he's telling what really happened. And uh, so anyways, he says, uh, Jesus was walking on the water. They were terrified as a ghost. They cry out of fear. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said uh, to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Stop screaming, you know, kind of thing. And then look at what happens next. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Like, Lord, if it's you, and man, I really hope it's you, then uh, tell me to come to you on the water. And, and okay, I'm going to be in a just, you know, full warning here, but I'm going to do a little speculating here. But here's what I think is going on in Peter's mind. I think the reason that he says this, tell me to come out on the water, is because something must have clicked for him. See, I think Peter realized what Jesus was trying to teach them that day. It's as if it dawned on Peter that earlier Jesus had invited them to do something that they absolutely couldn't do on their own power so that they would learn to depend on him more fully. And then Jesus had sent them across the lake when they couldn't cross the lake because the wind was so powerfully against them. And I think Peter just, like, it, like, it dawned on him. Like, you know what? I bet Jesus is intentionally putting us in situations where we can't do what he's asking us to do without depending on him. And so he ramps it up a bit. And he says, hey, call, invite me to come out to you on the water. Verse 29. Come, he said, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. Now, can you picture this? Peter, Jesus, both walking on water. I know how crazy that sounds, but look, look, listen. In this series, we're talking about Jesus making us like him, like us becoming like Jesus. And in this moment, you just get this picture of seeing, like, is that actually possible? Yes, Peter is doing exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's standing on the water on a wavy, you know, crazy night on the, on the lake, doing what Jesus is doing by Jesus' power. Can Jesus make us like him? Absolutely he can. Can you join Jesus in doing the things that he's doing? Absolutely you can. Not on your own power, but on 
Jesus' power, depending on him. As you remain in the vine, he makes you like him. He bears his fruit through you. Having said that, sometimes when we step out to do the things Jesus is doing, engage his mission practices, we can begin to start getting things twisted. And we're like, oh, look how awesome I am. Look what I'm doing. And then we start leaning on our own gifts and talents to do those kind of things instead of depending on Jesus. Or we can, in those situations, be doing you know, what Jesus called us to do, but we start getting so overwhelmed by what Jesus calls us to do that we get full of fear and we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start just thinking, there's no way this is possible because we're thinking about our own ability. And anytime any of those, go, those things happen, thinking like, oh, we have the ability to do it on our own with our own gifts and talents, or we don't have, we realize we don't have the ability to do it on our own, and we quit trusting Jesus, and we just get afraid. Anytime even those things happen, things don't go well. And, and that's what happened for Peter here, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. See, like when he saw the wind, which probably means like when he saw a giant wave. Like, how do you see the wind? When you see a giant wave coming to you, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He gets really afraid because he realized, what in the world am I doing out here walking on water? I can't, I can't do this. And he begins to sink. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, I'm not sure about this, but personally, I don't think Jesus was chastising Peter here. Like, I don't read his tone as being just like condemning. See, I, I think if he was going to give anyone a hard time, you'd think it would probably have been the other 11 disciples just chilling in the boat, right? And here, at least Peter's trying. Now, uh, I think, and this might just be like the parent in me, but I think that this is Jesus grabbing Peter's hand and saying, Oh, Peter, you almost had it. Why did you quit depending on me? Why did you begin to doubt? But either way that you read this, uh, what we see here is that Jesus' concern, it was not about Peter's ability to walk on the water, right? He's saying, why did you begin to sink? No, no, that's not what Jesus brings up. He, he, what he brings up is, why did you begin to doubt? See, Jesus' concern here was completely centered on Peter's dependence on Jesus. But that's what Jesus is aiming to develop in Peter by inviting Peter to do something that Peter could not do on his own. See, Peter, see, Peter is, or Jesus is trying to teach Peter, and I think through this story, trying to teach us, look, depend on me. And put yourself, it's good to put yourself in positions where you're out of your comfort zone, where you're forced to depend on me. Because as you depend on me, and that's driving you into me. It's making you more aware of me. It's giving you <laughs> this impetus to be connected to me. And that's right where I want you to be. Then I can do my work in and through you. I can make you more and more like me. I love how this story ends, verse 32. 
And when they climbed onto the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Like, you know, we had our suspicions when you fed all those people, but now we're sure. Okay, um, I love these two stories. I, I love them because they, they really do highlight why this aspect of practicing the way of Jesus is such a big deal. For they show us that when you choose to accept Jesus' invitation to join him in what he's doing, you're put in a position to depend on him to entirely new degree. And your intimacy with Jesus and your awareness of Jesus, of his presence, of his power, and your trust in him all increase. And when that's happening again, you're right where he wants you to be. And so to help you, friends, to remain in Jesus, I want to invite you to join Jesus in his kingdom work. I want to invite you to engage in the missional practices of Jesus. And to that end, I, have, I just want to leave you with two uh, important questions. The first question is this. What is Jesus inviting you to do with him? What is Jesus inviting you to do with him? And what need, what need has he put before you that you just can't seem to shake? What, what need just like, it just like, if that's the thing that really like stirs your emotion or passion, it's like on your heart, your mind kind of drifts to that at times. What, what has he put before you? that you can't shake. Maybe it's reading with kids at Ridgetop. We've been talking a lot about that and helping third graders get on reading level. Maybe it's fostering a child. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with that friend. Maybe it's meeting a financial need. What is Jesus inviting you to do with him? Second question is, will you step out of your comfort zone? and independence on him, do it. Will you step out of your comfort zone and dependence on Jesus and do it? Will you do what you know how to do while trusting Jesus to do what only he can do? See, friends, this sermon is my encouragement for you to do that. Because as you do, people will be served and friends will will hear the gospel, and kids will be cared for. That's all definitely a part of this. But also, at the same time, your connection to and your awareness of and your dependence upon Jesus will be strengthened so that you can become more like him. Friends, I want to invite you to lean on this rung of the trellis to help you remain in Jesus. For as we do the remaining he does the changing, and all of this helps Austin become more and more like heaven. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.